This year, on Heavy Metal Historian, we revealed the origins, rise, and future of thrash metal, shock rock, and other genres, but also discovered the influence of historical people or historical events, such as World War I and the Los Angeles riots, on metal. Now, as many forms of media turn to year-end best-of recounts or lists and begin espousing Christmas season cheer, and as marketing hits an unsurpassed high, people start talking about the spirit of Christmas. But instead, Heavy Metal Historian is not going to be decorating a tree that looks like the spirit of Christmas puked over the place. Instead, this episode is going to look at the spirit of metal. We turn to the albums, people, and events that embody the idea of a spirit of metal. From the early development of the genre to modern scenes and beyond into the future and into the past, Heavy Metal Historian brings you the spirit of metal this Christmas. Welcome to our 6616th episode. I'm Greg Davies, your heavy metal historian. Things have changed in the metal scene significantly since I was a young headbanger. When I was a kid, there was a feeling of division between that of metal music and everything else. If it wasn't metal, then it just wasn't good. But decades after that period of the late 80s and early 90s, we've seen heavy metal adopt and merge elements of other styles into their own noise, expanding the idea of what metal is even further than ever before. And over the last 10 years or so, there's been a perceptible increase in chatter about the spirit of metal. If you search the phrase in quotes, embodies the spirit of metal, over at Google, over 30,000 results return, with commentaries about awards as well as sentiments or reviews about bands that, in the author's opinions, embody the spirit of metal. And that number is growing. It appears that as time has progressed, The legacy left behind by the early years of heavy metal has developed into a spirit or attitude. Back in the 1970s and early 1980s, punk and hardcore was about the music as much as it was about the attitude, but with metal, it seemed to be more about the music and, for some bands, image. As we progress from the ashes of 2014 and into the beginnings of 2015, there is clearly the development of an attitude associated with heavy metal, or rather, a spirit of metal that is now hand in motherfucking spiked leather cuffed hand with the music. The idea seems to stem from the 2000s meme of things being so fucking metal, but in actuality, it stems from the legacy of the origins of metal itself. And as we move into 2015, it's clear what the spirit of metal actually is. What? No, it isn't metal. Of course it's not. <clears throat> Look, the defining nature of why metalheads believe such a song as the baby metal one we just heard isn't at the core of what the spirit of metal is. And we'll come back to that later because firstly, What we need to try and identify is what the spirit of metal actually is, who embodies it, where it comes from, and why it's become so important to the fans across the planet. At the core of the spirit of metal is the concept of defiance or individuality, a bold rebelliousness that is the key defining element that attracts the fans to the groups. This element exists across the board, from the early metal and hard rock of the 1970s into glam metal, across the thrash metal, and into the modern era of metal. 
This core of defiance is also identifiable amid the rebelliousness and quest for individuality experienced by teenagers, which explains why many of us drifted towards the spirit of metal in our adolescent years. The basis of defiance within the confines of the music delivers something we can identify with, an attitude wherein we try to stand tall and independent, boldly refusing to follow the trends or allow others to tell us what to do. This facet of defiance is ever-present across all levels of heavy metal. Black Sabbath dared to look at the darker sides of religion and the occult from their early days, which was mutinous against what was considered good or the norm at the time. Their song Evil Woman on their debut album exudes the attitude of telling someone who opposes you to step back. Motley Crue returned to the expression of defiance on the song Face Down in the Dirt in 2008, while Evil stood defiantly against religion with the song Cult in 2011. And stoner metal group Monster Magnet declared their defiance against mainstream expectations with the title track from their 1998 album Power Trip. Who's gonna teach you how to dance? Who's gonna show you how to fly? Who's gonna call you on the lame dope smoking slack and little sucker you are? The defiant heart within the spirit of metal is part of a larger facet, and that is relevance. The rebellious defiance is remarkably relevant to many of the fans, but that is joined in union with the greater relevance of a great deal of the content dealt with by metal bands across the board. The topics and concepts explored by the groups are usually issues of magnitude to the fans, elements of significance. Metalheads by and large take care with having a great deal of understanding of complex events. Besides the unruliness of teenage years and outside of this, the fans, generally speaking, have a desire for knowledge. Additionally, many care greatly about major social issues of their times or lean into political commentary or opinion, or in some cases, delve into a deeper understanding of religion, history, or literature. Metal bands represent this musically, a sonic relevance that explores concepts of significance and resonance, and from its beginnings, heavy metal has explored social, political, and cultural commentary via lyrics. The crusade of bands to explore this originates in musical styles like the blues, but also in rock and roll, specifically from the later years of the Beatles, where artists would endeavour to divide away from the lovey-dovey emotional romanticisms in pop music to create something with a bit more weight and substance, delivering the heavy into heavy metal. 
Megadeth reached deeply into criticisms of mainstream culture and politics with Peace Cells in 1996, while Skid Row dealt with the harsh street life and drug addiction in their 1991 tune Monkey Business. Many thrash bands explored the threat or outcomes of nuclear war, including Metallica in 1998 with their song Blackened. And Alice Cooper's return to music in 2000 saw a marked shift in commentary on the darkness in contemporary mainstream culture with the title track to the Brutal Planet album. side of the relevance coin is the trait of escapism. While many metal bands explored striking topics relevant to their fans, for many others it was escapism and fantasy that stood next to relevance and defiance inside the spirit of metal. The glam metal movement, along with and inspired by hard rock of the 1970s, explored elements of sexuality for the most part, although some found the accounts to be fanciful or farcical or even ridiculous, at its very foundations was the joy of sex. The generation coming from the 50s rebelled against the conservative restriction on sexuality with the free love movement and the hippies of the 60s, but the celebration continued into the 1970s and 1980s, pressing forth the ideals that sex shouldn't be prudishly condemned or hidden. It's a natural part of humanity, and rather should be enjoyed and celebrated. There are heaps of samples out there of metal exploring sexuality, as early as with Robert Plant's Cries of Desperation and Led Zeppelin's Rock and Roll, to Blackie Lawless oozing the bad boy attraction in Wild Child in 1985 on the Last Command album by Wasp. Nine Inch Nails took a more serious and primal approach with Closer in the 1990s, while Buck Cherry returned to the Led Zepp hard rock meets Wasp cock rock method with Crazy Bitch in 2006. But alongside the explorations of sexuality in hard rock and glam metal, another subgenre of heavy metal was beginning to take the escapist component of the spirit of metal into more of a fantasy base of the literary kind. Beginning with the explorations of Richie Blackmore in Deep Purple and subsequently Rainbow during the 1970s, the origins were established for early power metal, encompassing warrior ideals, a perfect parallel to the metalhead in the pit, and telling the medieval tales of dragons and fortresses and sorcery. Early power metal was D&D and LARP before there was D&D and LARP. The approach may have been literal storytelling, but the evolution of the style eventually became a metaphor for life and culture, 
an allegorical exploration of the spirit of metal in and of itself. Outside power metal, Iron Maiden explored history and literary influence with the likes of The Trooper from 1983, among many other songs. In 1987, Sabotage explored literal escapism and the fantasy of power metal respectively with 24 Hours Ago and the title track from Hall of the Mountain King, while a decade later, Hammerfall dove headfirst into the literal storytelling and the metaphorical representations on their debut album in 1997 with all of their songs and especially The Dragon Lies Bleeding. On the other hand, with the rise of melodic death metal, In Flames successfully combined the fantasy storytelling metaphors with the relevance of the spirit of metal in the song Moonshield on the Jester Race album. Within the spirit of metal, the aspects of relevance or escapism, not necessarily mutually exclusive by the way, sustained with it depth and weight as mentioned earlier. While most songs by pop rock artists have messages that are right there on the surface, it appears that most metal musicians, though not all, have a tendency to drive to deeper concentrations, giving the fans and the listeners a chance to discover further relevance when revisiting the music. And while some strive to augment complexities to the lyrical content, Others work to push it into ambiguity, leaving the fans to take away their own interpretations of the music. This is powerful across the history of heavy metal. Carcass would achieve this with the self-titled song from 1993's Heartwork, which on the surface seems to be depicting gruesome art made from human bodies, but acts as a metaphor for the craft of heavy metal music itself, a song in which the fans continue to find newer meanings and relevance to this day. Marilyn Manson would probe mainstream American ideals and concepts critically during the 1990s, notably with The Beautiful People, and likewise, Anthrax's 2003 Refuse to be Denied encourages the listeners to question the commercialized ideologies surrounding American identity. On the other side of the planet, though, in 2005, Australia's Carnival would analyze existentialism and challenging self-identity, along with questioning personal growth in the deeply ambiguous scrutiny of the song Thermata.
Together with this depth of relevance in the spirit of metal is a depth into darkness that stems from the very beginnings of the genre. As we've mentioned on preceding episodes, metal bands tend to explore the darker side of life and death, mostly with a serious and thoughtful approach, be it tales of a historic serial killer, studies of war or death, or the grinding horror style of splatter and gore. These darker or bloody conceptions are often areas in which many other genres quite literally fear to tread. Some hip-hop acts have come close. Eminem rivals aggressive output lyrically at times, while Necro has given many a gore grind or death metal band a run for their money too. But outside of these examples, it is an area in which heavy metal excels. From Black Sabbath's self-titled song and album in 1970, heralding the beginning of heavy metal and the exploration of darker topics, to the rise of shock rock with Alice Cooper's Ballad of Dwight Fry and Kiss's God of Thunder, this depth into darkness factor of the spirit of metal is an element that continues to this day. As early as 1966, with Jimi Hendrix and Hey Joe, the initial foundations of the genre were exploring darker elements in the form of a murder ballad that became a rock standard. The 80s saw Slayer provide a darker alternative to the glammy styles of Los Angeles, putting out songs like Evil Has No Boundaries, while King Diamond began to study the borderline between sanity and insanity with Welcome Home from the album Them in 1988. But the kings of gory horror in heavy metal, Cannibal Corpse, would bring darkness to a new level with the career-defining release Tomb of the Mutilated in 1992, containing songs such as Split Wide Open, Entrails from a Virgin's Cunt, and Hammer Smashed Face. While the in-depth examinations, whether it be into ambiguity or darkness, are essential components of the spirit of metal, complementary to this is the musical technicalities of the metallic sound. Though some of the pop metal and hard rock subgenre hits come across as simple or straightforward to some, a vast array of heavy metal contains an exploration into progressive detail. The proficient musicianship is evident from early psychedelic rock and prog right through to the modern metal subgenres, including thrash metal, death metal, progressive metal, and much more. Queen's rock opera methodology in Bohemian Rhapsody went beyond anything anticipated from hard rock in the early 1970s. The improvisation and complex guitar work by a young Eddie in the late 70s and early 80s were an indispensable part of the identity of the band Van Halen. The multifaceted arrangements by the early thrash bands of the 1980s, such as with Exodus 
or hyrax were central parts to the scene that gave rise to future genres. And further, Chuck Schuldiner's evolution of the band Death would push into future sounds as well, not to mention the later explorations into progressive metal by the likes of Dream Theater, Meshiga, or Devin Townsend and Strapping Young Lad. Defiance to the relevance, alongside the escapism and depth and technicality, the spirit of metal fuses all of these aspects into a consolidated direction, that of inspired creativity. Some of the fans of metal bands eventually pick up instruments to start their own journey into the spirit of metal as musicians themselves. They get to tell their own tales of defiance, providing relevance and escapism to their own fans, endeavouring to one-up the technicality of the bands that inspired them as well. But along with these elements and comparatively to the defiance aspect of the spirit of metal, there's one additional concept of self-asserting identity within the confines of metal. The concept of sticking to your guns and staying true to yourself runs through the genre, pushing forward a piece of determination as a part of the spirit of metal. This is evident across nearly every band and artist that has had a connection to metal. Hank 3's Three Shades of Black explores the identity while Marilyn Manson's Disposable Teams does the same, while criticising the mainstream news opportunism of the 1990s. All We Are by Warlock in 1997 explored the cultural identity of the Metalhead Collective. Kiss and Pantera exemplified this in songs like It's My Life and Walk, respectively, though in recent times, the metal band Sister Sin examined this in their song Chaos Royale.
The spirit of metal, however, goes beyond sentiments and lyrics and styles and musical writing. It appears that there are several people through the history of heavy metal that not only exemplify the spirit, they embody and personify it. A good case can be made for the originating members of Sabbath being the first metal band. In fact, the same could be said of the other three bands of the original Big Four, Led Zeppelin, Blue Cheer, and Deep Purple. While these original trailblazers personified the spirit because of their beginnings, it would be the metal god Ronnie James Dio that would later not only refine the vision of a spirit of metal, he would perfect it. Dio was known for his great love of his fans, his dexterity within the music, his dedication to the craft, but also the physical representation of the spirit of metal in the form of the metal horn's hand gesture on stage. Even after his passing, he is still regarded as one of the most important musicians that personified the spirit of metal. How many times have our listeners heard the phrase, Lemmy is gone? The frontman from Motorhead clearly has had a big impact on the evolution of metal, as has Rob Halford, not just with his main achievements with the metal gods Judas Priest, but also with his project called Fight and solo album releases. And in more recent times, Dimebag Darrell, who died 10 years ago this year, has also become a personification of the spirit of metal. Get your pull. One, two, three, four! Right. 
But in recent years, there's also been a shift beyond that of the genre of heavy metal itself. The Golden Gods Awards, one presented by Metal Hammer in the UK and another by Revolver in the US, slip in an award, of which the name often changes, presented to somebody who personifies the spirit of metal in some way or form The great and legendary Christopher Lee, at the age of 92, is releasing symphonic metal music yearly, clearly enjoying his newfound love for metal music creativity, and highly respected by metal fans for it. In 2010, he received an award literally named the Spirit of Metal Award from Metal Hammer for his artistic output to a roaring reception from the metalheads in attendance. The sword and the cross. We call it symphonic metal, but it is, nevertheless, metal. I would like to thank everyone who's made this album possible, the musicians, the singers, and the wonderful composer, Marcus Abiu. I would also like to thank Kawasaki for sponsoring this marvelous event. I'll be leaving on my motorbike with a case of Jägermeister and several dozen copies of Metal Hammer. Of course, thank you. Of course, I want to thank all the wise and intelligent people who voted for me. And most importantly, all of you here who have listened in the last few moments to a young man right at the beginning of his career. Meanwhile, Josh Barnett from the UFC won the Most Metal Athlete Award in 2014, William Shatner won the Honorary Headbanger Award in 2011, and Brian Blessed and David Darth Vader Prowse also won the Spirit of Hammer Awards from Metal Hammer. It gives the impression that there's been a shift in the world of metal, specifically with the spirit of metal that is encompassing an attitude that translates across and away from the musical genre itself. Why is this? 60s crooner Pat Boone released his version of Metal in 1997 with In a Metal Mood, which was met with contempt and ridicule from metalheads for the most part. The reason for this was that the album was more of a parody of heavy metal and an attempt to grab publicity. It did not go down too well with fans at all. The transition, though, happened in the 2000s when Johnny Cash was releasing his American recording series under the guidance of Rick Rubin. Cash was closing out his life with some significant music and arguably some of the best he'd ever released in his entire career. As a part of the ongoing project, Cash recorded covers of contemporary music he felt was suited to what he was trying to accomplish, covers of songs that he felt were solid representations of who he was and where he was. Among these were Soundgarden's Rusty Cage and Danzig's 13. But it would be Johnny Cash's cover of the Nine Inch Nails song Hurt that would change everything forever. I 
I hurt myself today To see if I still feel I focus on the pain The only thing that's real The needle tears a hole The old familiar sting Try to kill it all away But I remember everything What have I become? My sweetest friend Everyone I know Goes away in the air And you could have it all My empire of dirt Thinking back to that teenage metalhead I was back in the late 80s and early 90s, it's hard to recall how powerful I felt that there was heavy metal that was relevant, and then there was everything else that wasn't. Many fans felt the same. Johnny Cash changed that completely, blowing the minds of heavy metal fans, and also the original writer of the song, Trent Reznor. While Pat Boone's efforts were more of a poorly attempted Weird Al interpretation of metal, Johnny Cash embraced the spirit of the song and its attitude, and in turn, embraced the spirit of metal. And looking at his history, it's not hard to see why. While largely considered country for most of his career, in his early days, Johnny Cash was mostly seen to be rock and roll, touring with the likes of Jerry Lee Lewis and Elvis Presley. Indeed, it could be considered that songs like Folsom Prison Blues and Walk the Line embody an attitude that is extremely similar to the spirit of metal. All of a sudden, and since Johnny Cash has heard, there's been a strong cognizance among metalheads that there's an attitude to heavy metal that's accompanied the music since its inception. If you will, the culture of metal reached its singularity. We became self-aware. And that is why the phraseology of a spirit of metal is becoming prominent and has been evolving over the last decade or so. Fans are now exploring music beyond that of harder, heavier, darker, more extreme and more brutal metal, looking into artists such as Johnny Cash, Nick Cave, or even Christopher Lee. Wars have ended. The people have been raised from the dark ages of ignorance and chaos to a new world of enlightenment. But what if there is no God? No afterlife. Only dusk and dark.
personification of the spirit of metal is also embodied by specific album releases by bands as well. In 2014, it's actually beginning to become a little harder to think in terms of albums, with bands opting to release individual songs in this digital age. But going back to our original look into embodying the spirit of metal via Google searching, we find a great deal of metal albums reviewed in which some boldly claim they embody this spirit. So what are some classic metal albums that truly embody the concept of a spirit of metal? Black Sabbath's debut album and their follow-up Paranoid certainly do, as does Deep Purple's Machine Head from 1972. Def Leppard reached their pinnacle with Hysteria in 1987, while Iron Maiden's Number of the Beast demonstrated to be their breakthrough, and for Motorhead, it was the Ace of Spades. seem to have three albums that fans point to depending on their perspectives, Master of Puppets or Justice for All or The Black Album. British Steel by Judas Priest instituted them as the metal gods, while Dio's Holy Diver is a must-listen experience for all metalheads. Personifying the beginning of grunge, Nirvana's Nevermind is a key symbol of the shift in music at the time, and Kisses Alive transformed the face of metal with regards to live albums. And Rush's 2112? is still regarded as a seminal piece in the history of progressive metal.
Such an album list, obviously, is almost endless, though the ones mentioned are just a few of the top classic heavy metal albums that embody the spirit, and it's by no means a complete list of suggestions. There are countless older and newer albums that embody the spirit of metal, but this embodiment truly becomes manifest in the form of festivals and concerts where metalheads unite with bands in celebration of the music and the spirit of metal itself. The gatherings could be seen as tribal or ceremonial within the context of metalhead culture, but this is where the spirit of metal goes past that of the music, creating a unity that seems to get stronger as time goes on. It's this pure dedication to the craft that gives metal its legacy and helps form the spirit of metal, as shown in the celebration of the new wave of British heavy metal by Saxon in their song Denim and Leather. exemplified in the culture of metal among fans. The tribal nature of the pit and the dedication to the chosen bands that metalheads follow has generated into a large family of metal. The culture of the fans has traversed over into the music and back, and in turn giving rise to the conceptualization and attitude of the spirit of metal. But while planning for and working on this episode of Heavy Metal Historian, there was something I could not reconcile. While in the pit, there's a clear unity across metalheads, and also coming back to the relevance issues, the idea of standing up for your beliefs seems to be universal across all forms of metal. It seems, though, this universal unity present in the spirit of metal appeared to be contradictory to one other aspect, an aspect when you play a song like this. As you can see, in the metalhead culture, there's been a divisive nature about what metal actually is. This division actually stretches back to the early metal in the 1970s, when blues traditionalists felt that the likes of Black Sabbath were perverting the blues rock movement, or where many accused Led Zeppelin of ripping off many blues rock songs, citing a lack of innovation. It continued with the rise of the new wave of British heavy metal at the end of the 1970s, which found a strong rivalry against that of punk rock, 
where punk had its beginnings in metal as well, the new wave of British heavy metal bands despised them and regarded them as the furthest thing possible from metal. In the 80s, it was epitomised by the division of rivalry between glam metal and thrash. The glam bands took centre stage and mainstream popularity with the assistance of their images being a good mix with the MTV generation, while the thrash bands and fans considered the glam scene to be nothing more than a movement of posers. This reaction of rivalry and the idea that it's just not metal still continues to this day, despite bands like Motley Crue, Rat and Wasp clearly belonging in the metal genre. This continuing enmity between glam posers and harder heavy metalers is ongoing and was characterised recently in the 2008 album by Zimmer's Hole with the title track of the album, While You Were Shouting at the Devil, We Were in League with Satan. To be reasonable, there's also another side to the story, where the glam metalers had their say against the 90s movements of grunge and other styles, when tough, mashed up opinions, with the music from Metallica's Sad But True in their song, American Hairband, in 2001. To kill, I'm an SMF with the looks to kill. I rocked and rolled, the long hair is back. Then I grew up singing strutter and back in black. I'm going back to 89. I went platinum zero time. You're in the jungle, sweet child of mine. I want another piece of that cherry pie. Bad medicine Old man healing Hanoi rocks 
This seeming contradiction concerning the collective unities of metalheads and the spirit of metal against the divisive rivalry between metal genres has continued through history. New metal, metalcore, grunge, industrial and more have all been drawn against the accusations that the young Japanese teens in baby metal are currently dealing with when fans cry out, You're just not metal. The root of this divisiveness seems to be with regards to what's popular in the mainstream versus what's popular in the underground. Glam was fashionable in the 1980s while thrash was the underground, and the death metal and black metal was the underground of the 1990s, as genres like grunge, new metal, and later metalcore gained widespread mainstream appeal. But the idea of something being popular and mainstream no longer representing metal also exists among individual bands as well. Metallica were accused of betrayal and of selling out with the release of Enter Sandman and the Black Album in 1991, their most successful album to that point, and Megadeth were accused of following suit with Countdown to Extinction a year later. Even earlier, the sentiments arose for bands like Kiss Every Time a Beth or An I Was Made for Loving You was released, or like when Alice Cooper disbanded the Alice Cooper Band and moved forward under the same name for a solo career. It gives the impression that from one perspective, that once metal escapes the underground and is sucked into the mainstream popularity, it loses relevance. But then I overheard comparable sentiments expressed by a glam metal fan about progressive metal and black metal, and that's when I realised I was looking at this from the completely wrong perspective. For a fan of new metal, for example, the music provides relevance, escape, and defiance from the spirit of metal and identifiable content for them whereas the underground works of, say, for example, a black and thrash metal band from Sweden may not have any relevance for them at all. This understanding was a simple one. The spirit of metal lies in fans who declare what subgenre defines metal for them. Once found, they draw the line in the sand and stake it in the earth. And while to some it might seem divisive with rivalries towards other subgenres, for them it is their way of claiming this is my music, this is my noise, and this is the kind of metal that speaks to me, about me, for me, and through me. I identify with this. All metalheads feel like outsiders before encountering their style of metal. Finding their style and other fans like them make them realize that, hey, it's okay. You're not alone, and you're not the outsider you continuously thought you were. There's others just like you, and they're your crowd, and your tribe, and your army. Traditionally speaking, perhaps it was the KISS army that first personified this. KISS was vastly different from many other things when they first came out, and their fans were judged as outsiders or outcasts, gathering them together as a united fan group known as the KISS army. Frontman Paul Stanley was able to stand before them in the song Crazy Nights in 1987, proclaiming, these are my people, this is my crowd, and this is my music.
change me most likely always going to be divisive rivalry among fans of different subgenres. But this rivalry is symptomatic of individual fans declaring their loyalty and dedication to that specific style of metal they identify with. And comparatively speaking, it's kind of like picking your team for the Super Bowl. But in this case, when it comes to heavy metal, it's for life. Because when you become possessed by the spirit of metal, along with its essentials of defiance and relevance and escapism and determination, you become a part of that lifestyle, a part of the culture. You become a part of a family that is far more colossal than you could have possibly ever imagined. So baby metal might not be metal for you. Of course they're metal. They're just not my metal. They're not your metal. But somewhere, someone is discovering them for the first time, and the lighter kawaii tones of baby metal may actually become the gateway drug for a new metalhead in discovering other metal bands that are far more relevant for them. And despite this divisiveness, it is because of this declaration of identity that defines the spirit of metal, an attitude that will continue with the genre for a very, very long time. Before we dive into our prehistoric mosh, on a side note, I think it's also important to highlight that the spirit of metal exists strongly across all subgenres, but also in comedy as well. 1984's This Is Spinal Tap, while satirical and hilarious, embodies the spirit of metal through and through, while websites like Metal Sludge and Metal Sucks certainly do the same online for the fans. Australia's Cunt Scrape poked the fun out of the extreme side of metal, with songs like Fin Trollop, while Anal Cunt has built their career on these ideas as well. And let's not forget those lovable new kids on the block, Steel Panther. <laughs> Each other just because they're gay 
And now it's time for that prehistoric mosh I was talking about. In 1968, the Beatles released their self-titled record, also known as The White Album. One of the songs on the album was, and still is, considered to be the personification of a proto-metal song, and is widely regarded as a massive influence on the development, the origins, and the rise of heavy metal. Helter Skelter was written and recorded to push the envelope in terms of the dirtiest, rawest, and loudest textures of music that the Beatles could possibly accomplish at the time. It was later the centre of controversy when Charles Manson taught his followers that the song was a coded prophecy of a coming apocalyptic war, and the title of the song became enmeshed with the crimes and murders attributed to the Manson family. In spite of the controversy, the song is a key defining moment in the history of metal and most certainly was one of several foundation stones that would help develop the spirit of metal, with covers of the songs being released by Aerosmith, Motley Crue, Jolyn Turner, Caliban and many, many more. So, let's take a listen. When I get to the bottom, I go back to the top of the slide. Let's have a glance at this week in metal news. 
Florida death metal band Massacre has disbanded after splitting with vocalist Ed Webb and bassist Terry Butler. The announcement was followed by the withdrawal of Massacre from the lineups of upcoming tour commitments. The band's short-lived comeback began with the release of Back From Beyond in March of this year. Following up on last week's headline, Saxon drummer Nigel Glockler has had surgery for a brain aneurysm. After being rushed to hospital, Glockler underwent two operations for the aneurysm, which was originally reported as a clot. Saxon has postponed current tour dates for the UK, and no further news has been announced about his current condition or the status of the band's upcoming 2015 US tour. Norwegian black metal legends Immortal are currently embroiled in a legal battle over ownership of the band's name. Following the departure of guitarist Demonaz and drummer Hor from earlier this year, frontman Abbott applied to the Norwegian Industrial Property Office for the ownership of the Immortal trademark. The application was stopped by lawyers for the ex-members who want the trademark to be shared among the three musicians. Also in Norway, the three surviving members of the band Order played at their bassist's funeral this week. Two of the original members of Mayhem and the guitarist from Cadaver reunited as Order for the funeral in respect of bassist Renee Jansen's last wish to have them play the song Savage and a cover of Celtic Frost's Procreation of the Wicked at the funeral. Video footage of the performance as a part of Jansen's wishes is available at YouTube. Renee Jansen died on December the 3rd, three months after being diagnosed with leukemia. He was 45 years old. Iron Maiden have issued a Christmas card to their fans, featuring an image teasing that the band may be planning to record their next album soon. The picture shows Eddie running out from a building labelled as Studio next to a sign that says Euroton 51. Observant fans spotted this as an anagram of On Tour 15, indicating that Maiden may be planning for a new album release and a new world tour in 2015. Krim Lechner of Decapitated has joined Septic Flesh as the new drummer for the band. Since leaving Decapitated in 2012, Lechner has worked on several projects. The union with Septic Flesh follows the band's release of the album Titan earlier this year. Members of El Nino have joined together in a new shock rock project called Terror Universal. Dubbing themselves Horror Metal, the group is taking lead from the likes of Gwar, Slipknot, Mushroomhead and more, wearing horror-themed masks on stage. The band will be releasing an EP called Reign of Terror in the near future, and are currently streaming the song Welcome to Hell at YouTube. Dark Funeral have released their new video, Nail Them to the Cross, which unveils the new lineup of the band. This single will be released in addition to another new song in early 2015. In recent years, Gene Simmons and Paul Stanley have made noises that their band Kiss may possibly continue in the future with no original members. Current drummer Eric Singer recently commented on the idea in an interview where he stated that he would have no interest in continuing in the band if it happened, referring to Gene and Paul as the pillars of KISS. And finally, a new trend in some metal sites in the last week has begun focusing on the concept of Metalgate, allegedly a spin-off from Gamergate in which the website Return of Kings claims that social justice warriors are attacking metal fans as racist, misogynist and homophobic. Vince Nielstein from Metalsucks.net examined the claims in an article where he concluded hashtag Metalgate is not a thing. It's a childish expression of angst from within the gaming community that seeks to draw a connection between Gamergate and heavy metal where none actually exists. Links for the news can be found in the show notes over at heavymetal666.com and if you come across any great heavy metal news, please share it with us at reddit.com slash r slash metal news. 
on the next Heavy Metal Historian. We return to our examinations on the development of key subgenre styles within metal, this time looking into how the relevance of experimental avant-garde material and the pioneering work of psychedelic rock would cause to influence the development of a metal style that has become one of the most popular among fans. From the legacy left by classical music, the strange flexibilities of Frank Zappa, the deep explorations of Pink Floyd, and the very early beginnings of Rush, we take a look back in time at the origins of progressive metal. Keep up with us by subscribing to the show at iTunes or Stitcher. Follow us on Facebook or at Metal Podcast 666 on Twitter. Send us a message if there's a topic you'd love for us to cover here on Heavy Metal Historian, or if you've got a question that you'd love for us to answer. You can also find me on the Blendover Podcast over at blendover.com. We'll see you on the next Heavy Metal Historian, Hails and Horns. And until next time, we're going to leave the final word on the spirit of metal with the metal god himself, Rob Halford of Judas Priest. In 2009, Halford released the solo album Winter Songs, which, for all intents and purposes, was a Christmas album. However, the opening song and first single from the album, Get Into the Spirit, may seem on the surface to be a song about the spirit of the holidays, but on closer examination in the lyrics, it seems that Rob Halford actually had the spirit of metal in mind when he wrote and recorded it. Wishing you all the best for the holiday season, here is Get Into the Spirit by Halford as our closing headbanger.